Hey, Philo community, we're back. How is Easter planning going for everyone? I mean, hopefully you've been improving your process based on your past experience during this whole past year and the weekend since last Easter. For me, better process, better communication, better rehearsal schedule. I mean, that's the goal. In all my years of doing Easter, many of them did not go according to plan. And for whatever reason, uh, I somehow had an expectation that things would go perfectly. I'm not exactly sure where I got that idea from, but perfection basically never happened. After some time, I kind of learned that it was okay that things weren't always going perfectly as long as I learned each time, learned something new, how to run rehearsal better, how to figure out the budget better next time. What can we learn from the areas that didn't go according to plan? How can we improve based on the lessons we learned? How can we apply those lessons to next year? I mean, to me, that's the goal. The time to improve 2020's Easter is really the week after this coming Easter. So make sure you're taking good notes along the way of the things that you need to improve for next year and things you should repeat. You can start implementing those new thoughts and ideas now so that you're ready when Easter rolls around next year, just part of how you do rehearsals and planning and all that. And it could also make Christmas better. How about that? If you're listening to our podcast for the first time, our goal is to help technical artists in the local church to become more effective so that our churches can become more effective. Basically, Philo Conference all the time. And as we're getting closer to the Philo Conference, we thought it would be fun to take a peek behind the curtain of one of our main session talks. If you've been to Philo in the past, you know that we sometimes have one of our sessions is shot on video. It's an interview with somebody that couldn't be at our event, but thought would be great content for us to learn from. And we're doing the same thing again this year. You know, if you've been listening to this podcast, that we had the huge privilege to talk to Ola Melzig, who is the head of production for the Eurovision Song Contest. If you don't know what that is, it's a contest that happens every year. It's huge, big 200 million viewers on TV. Maybe it's twice as big as the Super Bowl as far as audience-wise. And the production is crazy. Well, I took a team, small, mighty crew, to Minsk, Belarus. They were hosting the Eurovision Junior Song Contest, and Ola was the head of production for that also. So we went to film our interview with him. I mean, for me, doing these interviews, being at the Tom Petty rehearsal space, mind-blowing. Being on set of The Voice, mind-blowing. Being at the Junior Eurovision Song Contest, it does not even compare. Anyway, getting ready for the trip, I thought in the back of my mind it would be fun to kind of record a podcast with our crew. And so, just in case, I brought the Philo Podcast Studio on the road. Studio is kind of a generous term, basically two SM58s and a Tascam DR40, and we just passed the two mics around. And it turned out that on our way home, we had a really long layover in Frankfurt, Germany. So I got the gear out and surprised everybody like we're doing this. The following podcast is a conversation with John Jorgensen, Dave Hunter, Andrew Sherman, and myself. Unfortunately, we were minus our good German friend Hartmut, who had a local flight to catch. And so the four of us sat down and talked about kind of what we saw, what we did, how we felt about it. And after listening to it again, it's basically a stream of consciousness. We just kind of go from topic to topic. I find it entertaining. Maybe that's because I was there, but I hope that you will find it interesting and entertaining as well. We talk about our experience with Ola and with the Eurovision production crew, who were all amazing. We talk a lot about Belarusian food and our experiences with that food. Uh, We talk about a building that we went to that was in the shape of a rhombocubotactahedron. I don't think I said that right. It's like so many sides, weird shape, supposedly the ugliest building on the planet. Anyway, you'll hear about that. You'll also notice that it sounds like I'm hosting a late night radio show because I'm talking so quietly. We're in a public space, so I just wanted to keep my voice down. Anyway, listening to all of us kind of have that vibe while we were talking was pretty funny. 
Anyway, working with these guys to pull off something really cool for Philo was so much fun, and I can't wait for you to experience the interview with Ola at Philo 2019. And on the note of Philo 2019, you can check our website out for all the information. If you're wondering about something, it's there. We, and by we, I mean Chelsea, has been updating pretty much every day with new breakout classes, teachers, hotel info, basically everything you need to know to plan your conference experience. And if you happen to be on the fence about coming, hopefully this influx of updates will help you decide. So check us out at philo.org. All right, blah, 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 enough talking. Let's get down to the podcast. Hey, Philo community, this is Todd Elliott. We're in the, I'm in the Frankfurt airport with some friends. Uh, we're on our way back from a trip that we had a good time and we wanted to talk about it, or at least I wanted to talk about it and make everybody else talk about it in a public space with like microphones and stuff. So before I introduce my friends, yeah, so they're, you're going to hear noises. They're going to clear our plates. They're going to be filling the ice machine. They're going to announce flights leaving and stuff like that. So that's just part of the ambiance of the Philo podcast. Okay, so I'm here with John Jorgensen. Hello, everyone. Greetings, Philo community. That was a quick move with the mic there, Todd. Pretty good at that. Okay. Um, we got Dave Hunter. What's up, peeps? <laughs> you recognize Dave. Uh, yeah, look at Dave's me. You voice. recognize me? Dave's voice. Close your eyes and picture yourself at Philo 2018. And then now Dave talks. Welcome to Philo 2018. By the way, we only have two microphones, so we're passing them back and forth. And uh, so if somebody's slow to, you know, talk. Give us some forgiveness. Yeah. To my right is Andrew Sherman. Andrew Sherman. Hi, everybody. <laughs> yeah, so this is fun. Uh, we've... Wait, who's Andrew Sherman? Tell him who yeah, that is. Yeah, who are you, Andrew? Oh, I oh we should probably get, get back to, to you, too. We didn't talk about John. Well, we'll go back to John. Uh, yeah, so I'm a filmmaker, uh, Willow Creek. Nice. The end. All right, John, and you are? Uh, so I am a writer and creative person mainly i partner with churches as sort of like a freelance creative partner or creative pastor but my connection with philo is i make the highlight video every year there you go and, and travel dave, internationally and yeah. he travels internationally and this is dave i'm uh, the mc for philo one of them me and aubrey mc and then i also uh do video production for my living so we we're out here shooting out and we went to minsk yes yeah, so we're on our way back from minsk and by the time you hear this podcast, hopefully the what we have been doing will be out of the bag. So we will talk freely about what we've been doing. So I'll sort of set this up. So I had somebody, Chris Thomas specifically, who's the technical director at Cherry Hills Church in the Denver area, suggest that we talk to the head of production for an event called Eurovision Song Contest, which is 200 million viewer, bigger than the Super Bowl kind of event that nobody in america has that ever nobody heard in the u.s has ever heard of because there's no american because yeah they can't you can only stream it or watch it after the fact anyway somewhere along the way at willow creek we got hooked into this because we had a lighting designer who was swedish so he knew all about it so we have not stopped watching it since then anyway we got a chance to interview the head of production ola melzig who is a swede from sweden oddly enough and he was doing the junior version of the Eurovision Song Contest in Minsk. And so we thought it would be really cool to film on location. And what a better place to go in November than Minsk. Dave? 
<laughs> but you could also go to anywhere else. <laughs> that would be a better well, place, I yeah. suppose. But if you were, if you were looking specifically for low hanging clouds, lack of sun, and like and rain, rain right on the edge of snow, mm-hmm. where would you go? I would go to Minsk. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, for sure. If he had lots of days to kill to get there. Yeah. 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 If you were. <laughs> so we we left on Monday, right? And today is Friday. Yeah, I don't know what to say about that. It was an interesting trip here. Do you want to talk about they're doing dress rehearsals right now for right. and run-throughs for the junior version. So we arrived and we gave ourselves a few days to be here in case something happened and we couldn't get the interview. We had another day to kill or something like that. So when we first got here, we went in and did a sort of a sight check and they were rehearsing and everything. We walked into this ginormous stadium where they had like 1,200 moving lights and LED walls and LED floor. It was nuts. And so we met we met the guy in person, Ola. Ola. And um, he's kind of running the show. And man, he's a character. He is a character. Yeah, for real. And it was cool to just see them sort of working. And then we came back day two and we were uh, we were going to do the interview, but they were running behind because they had technical difficulties. They were about an hour and a half behind. So we actually decided to just, we sort of set up the lighting and the cameras and everything, how they're going to be exactly. And then we came back the next day to actually do the interview. But we shot a bunch of B-roll on day two of the uh, dress rehearsal and the tech rehearsal and stuff. Yeah, and I would say the tech rehearsal was they had stand-ins that were volunteers from Belarus that learned the routines of each of the countries that were performing. And then they walked through the motions so that lighting and video could practice what they were doing. Yeah, they were like this, they were like 14 years old, like a group of maybe, I don't know, 15 or 10 or 15 teenagers. And they're up there on stage lip syncing in 20 different languages. Not always accurately, but that that was so fun to watch. They're just up there. They've memorized all these different routines and then they have to lip sync in like Welsh for five minutes over and over and over again until they can get all the camera moves and all the lighting cues and everything just right. They were good though. I thought at first like they were just yeah, gonna lip sync the actual thing. Like I was like, oh, that must be that must who's be the, doing it. Yeah, that I must didn't be realize the it, was, from, it was stand-ins and they were gonna actually sing. But a little behind the for the Eurovision thing, the way it works, and please excuse us the vacuum in the background, but the way it works is every country who's involved in Eurovision and Eurovision Junior, they write an original song and they have a competition. So like, for example, Germany, they'll have 10 original songs with accompanying routines that all compete against each other. And then the winning of those 10, the winning act of this original song and performance gets sent to the big Euro- worldwide Eurovision to compete against all these other countries. And then whichever country wins, that country hosts the competition the following year. And so everybody goes to that country and performs and competes the following year. Yeah, and one thing that I thought was really cool as we were talking to Ola, just the how they're they whatever country they're in, they're trying to use as much local uh, help, production help, production equipment as they can, just to so that they're not just blowing into the country and pl- pulling out, and the country doesn't benefit at all from from the experience. And I think the other thing that he talked about was how they basically start from scratch every year. Like brand new crew, brand new arena, brand new everything. They 
they start at zero. They don't necessarily build on what they had the year before. Right. I mean, because it's in a different country every year, you've got a new creative vision, a new set of producers every year. And right now, Ola and his crew are the common denominator. Yeah, and sometimes Ola doesn't, he doesn't even come back. Like, he might take a year off or something, and they have somebody else to the program director. Do we want to talk about the venue a little bit? Because that was crazy to me. So the venue is the Minsk Arena, that's what it's called, right? So the venue, built in 2010, yeah. yeah. The venue is the Minsk Arena, which is essentially a, it's almost like a, it's not as big as the United Center. It's smaller than that. It's more like a, like the Sears Center, maybe a little smaller than that, but mainly used for, like we saw all the hockey boards that had been pulled out. So it's a sports arena that over the course of what we learned was nine 24-hour days, they loaded all of this stuff in. It was crazy. The amount of cases we saw on the loading dock. How do they do 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 the 24 hours? Tell them how they do that. Oh, so they they have essentially two entire, correct me if I'm wrong, they have essentially two entire crews one to work the day, 12 hours, and one to work the night. And there's sort of two of everybody, including Ola. So he goes back to the hotel, goes to sleep, and another version of him comes and oversees the the build, which took nine days straight, 24 hours. That's not pretend. That's for real. I mean, I... That was helpful, Todd. Thanks. Yeah, no, I just think about uh, doing Christmas or Easter. Like, those are hard pushes and long runs as a church tech person. And I just can't even wrap my mind around somebody's always working for nine Yeah, straight and these days. are all professionals too. Like these are all hired people. Yep. It's not volunteers. Yep. They like know what they're doing and it's taking that long. Right. I thought it was, uh, Andrew, you want to talk about the setup and what we brought and everything and what happened when we got there? <laughs> what happened which, when we which, got there? Which thing that happened when we got there? <laughs> You know, the goal was to capture an interview with Todd and Ola, and Dave has done an amazing job in the past couple of years of doing a similar thing, three-camera shoot, you know, one isolated shot of each person and then a wide shot. And so the wrinkle this time was traveling internationally and not knowing what was going on and all that type of thing. So I think one of the things we tried to consider when we left is let's have a contingency for everything. Like if we don't have any lights, let's make sure we have lights. If we don't have this, let's make sure we have that, you know, that type of thing. Also, one of the reasons you mentioned why we built in extra time, because we didn't know what was going to happen when we got there and how much time we'd have. And I'm glad we chose. There was discussion early on of let's just get in, be there a day and get out. And I'm glad we added a day because I think had we had to try to squeeze it all in to a day, we wouldn't have got what we got. So is that what you're, I mean, how much more detail? There's so much more detail. So so we didn't, we brought... Two two by one panel, like LED lights, uh, to light both of them, which is what we've done in the past. But when we got there, one of the things we realized was we wanted to do their interview on stage, and they've they've got twelve hundred moving lights. So we thought maybe one or two of those could be used <laughs> for the interview. And Ola is in charge of everybody, so we had the power. So he was like, you know, could everybody do whatever he told them to do? So. We asked, hey, could we hey, could we light you and Todd with moving lights? And so to sort of do a back, like a shoulder light thing, and then also a, a key light from the front. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, of course, of course. So we didn't wind up needing our lights, which was very helpful, because then we didn't have to flag off anything with them or worry about power conversion and if it was going to work from whatever power source they have here to the lights and using adapters and all that kind of thing. 
I think even not having to see all that stuff in the wide shot. Yep, and then you didn't nice, have to yeah. see the lights in the wide shot. And then we also brought, we had an issue last couple of years where we had wireless mics for the interviews and we had some frequency interference because the last two ones were in LA. One was in Universal Studios and one was in Sony Picture Studios. And there was just so much crap flying around the air that we had fuzz that we had to deal with in post that was a pain in the butt. So this year we decided to not have a pain in the butt and uh, we brought the wireless frequency mics, but we also brought uh, lapel mics that are wired directly. And then we also brought two boom mics and we were going to potentially use a boom mics and use the wired lapel mics. So Andrew, what happened with uh, how we did the miking? Turns out in Minsk, there's plenty of wireless frequencies available. So those sounded great, <laughs> um, which we ended up using those for, we did some walking around the arena, Todd and Ola, just kind of a walking Q&A, and those sounded great. Still chose to wire the lobs for the interview just to be super safe. And then wanted to go after the booms because the booms typically sound better than a lob just because of placement and everything. But uh, no matter which way we swung those booms around, the wide shot just looked awful. We sacrificed a tiny little bit of audio quality for beautiful visuals instead. And um, we both monitored the audio, I think, pretty closely based on how the last couple of years went and sounded great. You know, tweaked my mic placement a little bit, both on Todd and Ola, try, to try to get the cleanest lav sound we could. And I think it turned out all right. We'll see what our... So, yeah, and we'll see what the our audio post guy says. But it looks great no matter how it sounds. It looks awesome. One thing that was sort of unique about this year's interview shoot, because I went on last year's, was the amount of access we were given by the venue and by Ola. Like we got in there three days and we kind of had free reign wherever we wanted to go to get as much B-roll. On day two, it was almost a blessing in disguise that they moved the shoot because you guys got to basically set up the entire interview on stage the day before we did it, get all of your shots the way you wanted them to look. So that way our setup on the actual day of the shoot when we were a little bit more crunched was like no problem. Yeah, and it was cool because we got all the lighting sets. We actually, in the one hour that we originally had scheduled to do the interview, it got pushed to more more like 30 minutes. So we used the 30 minutes on day two to set up everything and get the lights positioned. And then they recorded that light cue for us. So it would be exactly how we wanted it when we came back. And we also remembered where we had the cameras placed and tripods and all that kind of stuff. And Todd, I would be interested to hear from you from like the interviewer's point of view, because like I've watched you get better as an interviewer with each of these that I've seen you do. What are some like tips and tricks that you're learning and implementing from last year's interview to this year or whatever it might be? That's a great question. I think, um, I don't know that I have a, a trick or anything, but I, I think the first year I was so nervous of... Uh, saying the wrong thing, uh, asking a question a stupid way, forgetting to ask a question. And uh, actually last year when we did the voice uh, interview on the way there, you said, you know, how are you feeling? And I said, I'm nervous because I, you know, this whole thing. And you're like, ah, we can edit this. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> Don't worry about it. And so I think that's helped a lot. I think also the the fact we had two days with Ola before the actual interview he and I got a chance to talk just about whatever that helped kind of relax me and probably him too. And I, I tried to make sure that I never asked him my actual questions until we had the mics on and the cameras were rolling because I didn't want to – I was super interested in a lot of that stuff, but I thought I want to save his answer so it doesn't feel like he's 
rushing through an answer he's already already given me. Um, yeah, I mean, that's what I was going to say is he spent two days asking all the questions before we even sat down in front of the cameras. And I think that relaxed both of you guys. And you could tell when we sat down that just kind of flowed from there. I think, too, the um, I think most people really like talking about what they do really well. Uh, so it's real easy to get somebody to talk when you're asking, tell me about you, your life. How did you, you know, just all those things. And and I'm I'm really interested in it too. So that I mean I think that helps that person kind of relax. And I think for me, I'm always in the back of my mind thinking, the people who are listening to this, what do they need from this nugget that he's saying? And try to get more from it if possible. I mean I think the thing about an interview is you never I never got the answers necessarily that I thought I would or exactly how I wanted them, but they were real and authentic and I think there were some some answers that I wasn't expecting that were really good. He's definitely like a real guy. Like there's no fake faking with him. You know, like you, you get who you get. But it was interesting learning about how he's played all these different roles. And this is this is sort of in the interview content itself. But he talks about how he started as a guitar player. Like that was like how he started everything, right? He's just played guitar right, like, right. like in a band. Yeah. Because he had musical talent, he, he stepped up to something else and... After all these years, he's like top of the food chain. Yeah. Yeah, I thought, I mean, it's so interesting the way people get to where they are. I mean, even thinking about Alan Carter last year for The Voice was, uh, he was a music video editor. And then he just translated that to live. I'm doing, I'm editing music videos just with a switcher in the moment. Yeah. One thing that was really cool being there is that there's first of all there's like it's one of the biggest worldwide competition shows that exists and there's no sets it's all like led background walls led floor and then they'll bring out props sometimes if if their thing needs props so really the lighting was the set design because they they haze the crap out of it and then there was like this amazing light design and like three or four light programmers that are working all the time doing stuff and and like that was the set and they would have the dp of the cameras working with the lighting guy and so like they were closely figuring out how they're going to pull this off i thought that was fascinating the thing about having 1200 moving lights i think the hard part is wanting to use them all all the time and really what the reason for so many is you have 20 at, at the junior version that we saw there were 20 countries represented and each one of them needs to look totally different right so you're using lights that you don't use any other time just for that moment yeah he was also saying how with each of the countries ola and his team is the one that decides how to present that country's act even though that act has already been performed and competed when it comes here ola's team chooses the order of the show they choose how to treat the act and all that kind of stuff as opposed to leaving it up to the countries. I, I was, thought that was interesting because I, I could feel like if I was a country coming and my act didn't win, like would I blame Ola and their team, you right. know, for doing that? But Ola and their team knows what they're doing way better yeah. than the countries that are coming. Yeah. So uh, maybe to back up, one of the things about this trip that was really concerning to me was making it out of the airport. <laughs> and so I wasn't, that was maybe another reason I was so relaxed about the interview. It was the thing I was not as worried about as will we make it out of the airport. So anytime you're traveling internationally with gear, 
especially Belarus, uh, which we don't know that much about, what's going to happen? Are they going to confiscate our gear? Are they not going to let us out of the airport? Is something going to happen? And so even right from the very beginning in Chicago, when we were checking on, we got stopped there. Like, what is this? What are you doing? And do you have visas and all this stuff? And I thought, this is not, when I said we're not going to make it out of the airport, I wasn't thinking Chicago. But uh, yeah, Belarus turned out to be uh, the airport experience getting through was pretty painless and it was a little bit dicey this morning. We had that so, unique thing though coming in where you like you had to have you have to prove that you have medical insurance. Oh right, yeah. Like travel medical insurance. Yep, you have to prove you have medical insurance and you have to prove that you have twenty five dollars or euros per day you're in the country that you could survive here yeah they didn't yeah like are homeless people flying here and <laughs> like how they happening? afford the ticket why, yeah why are they uh making sure you're but but you can't we couldn't use like our medical like if our american medical insurance that wouldn't work we had to have Typically travel it doesn't yeah right? yeah so you could buy it at the airport i mean there was a a place you could buy it once once we got there. Yeah, but, but it was weird, like arriving in Minsk, going to the person, and the first question out of their mouth was, "Do you have insurance?" Yeah, and I'm like, "Ah, oh, you don't want to see my passport?" Or, yeah, <laughs> no, they want to see my insurance. So I put give show my insurance, then I show my passport, and and then I did. I think they asked why we're coming in, right? Like, what are you doing here? Yeah, right. So the person who asked me that, I said, "Oh, we're here for the Eurovision Junior." contest and she got so excited that uh, somebody was here for that and yeah and it, uh, it was funny because i have a thing where like you don't you don't joke around with the border patrol even though you want them i mean no, in a normal conversational setting you'd start yeah i'm excited too and are you gonna go and you know just to make conversation but that's i think how they lure you into answering to a little questions. white room with a light bulb yeah, yeah answering questions that they're not asking <laughs> Well, I was going to say, too, just a shout out to Chelsea. She did so much research on Belarus and what you need and where you need to go. And she talked to the embassy and all that kind of stuff. So just the amount of back-end work that happened to get us there and everything went super smooth. And we didn't talk about the carnet a lot. But for those of you listening who don't know what a carnet is, it's basically a passport for your equipment. And um, there are certain countries, the U.S. is one, and Belarus happens to be one who honor a something that's called an ATA carnet, which is an official document that's generated in the U.S. That's a list of gear and all this kind of stuff. And basically, in the same way you present your passport for yourself, you kind of present this for your gear. Just kind of ensures that uh, everybody's on up and up. Nobody's buying things, selling things, not paying taxes, all that kind of stuff. And so, uh, again, a lot of work by Chelsea. Uh, and us finding serial numbers. <laughs> but it's been a smooth process so far, and I anticipate it being smooth going back through. But you, we could have risked not doing it, and we might have showed up, and they could have pulled all of our equipment and said, sorry, you can't use this, and then we would have been stuck. So. Or they could have charged us a whole bunch of money. Oh, yeah, or they could have taxed us or something. Yeah. I was thinking about it uh, as I was packing, like how could we do this with iPhones and like flashlights and stuff? I could put all that in my backpack and... We'll make this happen anyway. I think we could have borrowed one of their 20 cameras, I think, that they had working on set, yeah, right? Yeah. I would need the 30-meter 30, the 30 jib. Please, <laughs> thank you. Absolutely. Um, if, if I may, going back to the actual shoot, I had a question for Dave and Andrew. You guys sort of collaborated on this shoot in sort of an... It was, like, fun for me to watch in that usually I'm on shoots with Dave where... Dave's like calling the shots and telling 
you know, here, go here, we're turning on this, whatever. But this was more of a collaboration between the two of you guys. I'd be interested to hear how you sort of navigated that, having not worked together before, right? And having your own styles and, and all of that. What was it like to sort of navigate your relationships collaborating? I feel like I'm in group counseling all of a sudden. I, <laughs> no, I, yeah. <laughs> Hi, I'm Andrew. And yeah. No. I ask the real questions, man. I ask the real stuff. We're going deep. Yeah. No, I, I think we've both, I was leaning on Dave because he's done all of these before. Like, and Dave and Todd are the, are the brand, so to speak. And so I just want to make sure that we capture that. And then, but then, I'm going to be editing this one. So just technically I had some things that I want to make sure we got coverage wise visually. I had, I think we were both kind of on the same page visually. Yeah. I don't know. It just felt really smooth. So credit to Dave too, for just, we kind of, I guess just rolled with it. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, Andrew coming, the idea was, would be, he's going to, he's going to take this project and finish it through and he's going to kind of be the point, the DP on it. So Andrew's done a lot more, you're not more travel shooting than I have, so he knows a lot more about that than I do. And also, he's actually just been shooting longer than I've. I've been running a video company for about seven or eight years. He's been shooting for 15 plus for Willow. So I was actually interested in to see the way he did things and how he works and what things he might know that I I could pick up from. So I kind of walked into it thinking it'll be cool to learn a few things, how somebody does it. Because when you when you get into, you, you tell me if you agree, but when you get to a certain point of doing this so much, you don't actually have a chance to work with other videographers who are at the same caliber or higher. So it's kind of a unique situation because normally when I'm on a shoot, I'm the one in charge. And normally when Andrew's in the shoot, Andrew's the one in charge. So it's kind of fun to work together with somebody else who's normally in charge to see how they do things and sort of learn from it. Like a couple, one of the things I learned was we were in Europe, and so their LED screens in the background had a really bad flicker on it. And so our Canon C100s had a mode called clear scan where we could go in. Instead of using shutter speed, we could switch it to clear scan and then push it up to like 50 hertz, and it got rid of the flicker in the background. And I wouldn't have known that. I would have had to have fought this flicker in post and just dealt with it. But since Andrew's shot in Europe before, he knew about that. He knew how to fix that. So it was, uh, it was a cool thing to learn. Yeah, I thought you guys did a really, the reason I asked is because I thought you did, a, you both did a really good job of it in terms of it always seemed like both of you were willing to defer to the other one or willing to hear a suggestion or willing to offer a suggestion and there was never any sort of hierarchy or never any sort of like, this is my thing or anything like that. There was definitely just open communication and, and trust, which I think is probably important in, in all teams that are doing something like this. Yeah, I mean, the one thing that, I felt like I was a little bit at a disadvantage because uh, disadvantage is a weird word. It was all Dave's gear and I just wasn't as familiar with it all. And so I I think I deferred to you a lot just like, because I've used, I've never used a C100 before. I've used the 300, the 500 Mark II, but I've never been in that menu before. And so it was super helpful to, that's some of the stuff I learned is like, how do you use the C100? <laughs> um, and some of those, some of the other tools that you have, I haven't, you know, some of the software stuff we were talking about in post, like Edit Ready, and what was the other one? Renamer. The Renamer, like, uh, I was like, oh, okay. It's just uh, not my typical workflow. So, yeah, I picked up some of that stuff too. Nice. Now, uh, John, um, other than being, you were uh, one of the camera operators, but you were also 
doing behind the scenes stuff. And probably by the time you've heard this, you've seen some of our vlog that went out about uh, our little trip. Maybe from your perspective, tell kind of what you were doing and how it went maybe relative to last year. Yeah, so one of the other reasons I was invited on the trip, other than to ask the deep questions, was <laughs> uh, was to document it via a vlog. I did one last year when we went to L.A. for Alan Carter and then was brought back to do it this year going to Minsk. Um, and something that Todd and Chelsea really understand, and they're very smart for understanding it, is that content is one of the best, if not the best way to market and to expand your brand and to sort of tell your story, whether that's via a podcast, whether that's via video or Instagram or whatever it is. And that is a large part of my realm and my ministry. Um, I do a lot of videos on YouTube and things like that, not just vlogs, but other types. Uh, content is Todd and I were talking on our way on our way over there, sitting in this very lounge. <laughs> we were talking about how content is really my sort of main game. So the lens that lens uh, that I was really looking through the entire time was like how do I tell the story of this trip and there has to be an interesting balance between the the you know technical side of it and documenting the actual shoot and the reason that we're here balanced with a personal connection with all the people who are here and the other fun stuff we're doing like going to the ugliest building in the world or whatever it might be. Um, and so really for me, a lot of that decision is in post when I'm editing the vlog and trying to tell that story. When I'm here, I'm just literally capturing everything. So, I would say that was one of the weird things for me is all of a sudden John's like in my face with a camera. I'm like, oh, I'm only used to holding one of those You're and now it's it, right next to me. You're big time now. Yeah. And I'm like, where's John with a camera? I have something to say. <laughs> I need some FaceTime now. <laughs> I need more stage He's missing my good, my good side. Yeah, it was. Uh, I would say the same as Andrew. You know, just having a camera pointed at you is uh, not something I'm used to. I mean, even doing the interview and having getting mic'd up and all this stuff, I'm, I'm still used to being on the other end of all that stuff. But, you know, aside, uh, not aside from. I mean, the whole trip. Uh, I think we we really had a great time together. We the person who's not with us is Hartmut uh, from. I was going to say shout yeah. out to Hartmut. Yeah, yeah, because we had a, uh, we had an issue with that he really came in clutch for us with, which was we were doing the walk around stuff with Ola, and it was like like pitch black in some of the areas where he was working, and um, so we had this little LED light that's pretty strong. So we had Hartmut hold it while John and Andrew were filming, and I was out doing B roll, and there was no way we would have been we would have lit him if we hadn't have put Hartmut's hand up in the air for hours <laughs> yeah. holding his light or down, you know, and he had to keep his arm out of the shots and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And then he was just very helpful overall, like with bringing gear up and shooting some behind the scenes photos and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. It was great having him. He's a good friend for the last uh, 12 years or so. And so he lives in Germany, right? He lives in Germany. Yeah. So he met us in Frankfurt here and then we all flew over to Minsk together. But yeah. For me coming so far for so many days, you know, at least for me, sort of wondering, is that, what's this going to be like? Is Are we going to hate each other by the end of it? And I just love that we had a lot of fun. I mean, I think our days started at noon every day. We, yeah. We had a hard totally time getting going. We, we met yeah. at noon because yeah, like we couldn't yeah. get to the, the, the venue until like 3 or 4 each day. So uh, we said, we'll just meet at noon in the lobby and then go to lunch. First, yeah, so, day, first day here, I slept till 1130. Yeah. 
a.m. It was so awesome. So maybe let's uh, transit. Oh, go ahead, Andrew. Well, that was the day you were dead when yeah. John texted yeah. us John's all and like, said, I think, I think Dave dead. is dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, maybe let's uh, let's talk about food. Borscht. Okay, so we're... Yeah, so we're in uh, we're in Belarus. We, I'm a big fan of. Let's see what there is to eat here. I don't want to. There's Burger Kings everywhere, and KFC, KFC, and Domino's, and Domino's. Yeah, I think there are 15 KFC restaurants in the the metro. Yeah, of all places to have Southern Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> yeah, out here in near Russia, they had tons of the be- them. our favorite uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken. We didn't eat there; just driving by was had this very Soviet looking sculpture on top that was like the workers chicken palace i don't know what would you call that anyway i don't know it's like a, the kfc of the people yeah, right oh, there you chicken of the people yeah. <laughs> so uh the first day we were looking for a place to eat and yeah by the way which by the way an unexpected thing when you travel like if you don't have any like a fixer or a host that's out here because we had nobody we just sort of came out here as dumb white americans and like we'll figure it out and so, like, how do you find out where to eat out here? Like, it's all in Russian. Like, and Russian letters look wrong. Yeah, it was totally uh, unreadable to <laughs> to us Americans. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So first night, we picked a spot that I had uh, I had done some research like for the last few months. Ah, things to do in Minsk, and I recognized the name of the restaurant. So, ah, let's go there. And yeah, we had a great time. But afterward, when the bill came, it was like, oh, okay. Well, what happened? Tell what happened with the, yeah. the wine. Why was the bill so high? Yeah, no, no, that the okay, that there were <laughs> the the it was expensive, uh, and the wine, yeah, was uh, not cheap. Also, the wine was more than thought. Yes, uh, the whole thing was more than thought. Well, I, the, after leaving there, I looked it up again online. It's like the number one restaurant in Minsk and the most expensive. And so we were quite underdressed as well. We <laughs> yes, walked we in, were. all the servers are in like black tie, and I am literally in a hoodie and sweatpants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how we roll, Americans. 20 hours into my travel, about to fall asleep into my soup. However, we were the, I'm pretty sure we were the only ones in that restaurant at that Monday night. Because there was nobody. So right, we had Tuesday. A lot. It was Tuesday night. Oh, was it yeah. Tuesday? We got a lot of attention. A lot of attention. Yeah, and the food was great. So It was amazing. Yeah, the um, that was the first night we, uh, some of us experienced the borscht soup, which is kind of the thing. So Andrew's the, now the expert Yeah, the, the I would put that at number two on the list of the places we went okay. for borscht. But number one on the list for all the meals we went to. I think it was the best meal overall. Yeah, I, I think, think the best vibe, the best. The internet yeah. is right. Whatever you find on the internet, it's right. Travel advisor is the thing to to look at here. Yep. Um, yeah. So then we went to this cozy little place uh, for that lunch place the was next awesome. day. It was awesome, but it was in the basement. We're like we're going. We're, are we doing this? <laughs> are we really going down there? Like dead animal skins on the wall. It looked and... like we joked that it looked like Gaston's pub from Beauty and the Beast. That's exactly what it looked like. Just bear skins, wolf skins. Bear hair falling into my borscht, delicious. <laughs> but yeah, that that food was really good too. Yeah, that was the most traditional probably that we've. Yeah, and then uh, yeah, I'm sort of losing track of all the places we. That was what do we do for dinner we that went night? To the last place that he recommended. Oh yeah, beef and beer. Beef and beer was for dinner that night. So yeah. we we had lots of meat. So much. Yeah, beef and beer. They had they had these uh, they had these boxes. There was like you could get a hot box of appetizers or a cold box. They were called hot box of snacks, 
and cold box of snacks. And so Hartmut, who's with us, he's like, we should get both. That, that's what he sounds like. That's he exactly totally sounds like that's that. exactly what he sounds like. <laughs> and so we got a big, a big hot box of snacks, and then we got a cold box of snacks. And it was like way too much food. And and then we all ordered entrees and uh and soup. And, and but the like borscht, and yeah. the hot in the hot box there was these cheese twiglets, fried cheese twiglets. It was super good. It was, was like, it, what, what I was describe, it like, John? I described the Twiglets as if there wasn't much cheese to be found in there. Correct. It was like you took the breading off a of fried chicken and then fried that again. Yes. And then ate that. It and, was just fried fried. And claim it had cheese yeah, in it. It was just fried. twice fried fried. They were stuff. good. It, it was very good, obviously. And best borscht in Minsk, as far as I'm concerned, at beef and beer. Right. So uh, maybe to back up to our beef and beer experience, we we put it into Google Maps and Google Maps said Dave was the we almost died. Dave was the navigator, which is a questionable choice. We're gonna have to it's not change questionable. That for it's next, the right it's no, the we're right choice. Have to change that for next time. Uh Dave, what am I doing? Oh you're supposed to turn back there. Um <laughs> the uh anyway we we get into this back alley that we came to like a gate that we couldn't get past. And so I had to turn around between two shipping containers. It was like a 10 point turn. Yeah. We were, we were going to die. There was, I saw a hand, uh, a dead hand in one of the shipping containers. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it looked like that. It looked like a, there was a sure shadow or some, some sort of shadow. The cheese twiglet you saw instead. Anyway, we almost died there. So that's, um, that was a fun experience. So then, uh, and that was Ola's recommendation, the beef and beer. He, uh, Which, another great place. Yeah. yeah, it was a great place. So then we, the next day we, we went to the mall and ate at the mall in the Independence Square. So big statue of Lenin, a KFC in the mall. We did not eat there, but we ate at the Garage Cafe. Not to be confused with the Garbage Cafe. Yeah, which we kept calling the Garbage Cafe. But Garage Cafe, it, to me, it was essentially like a Red Robin. In the United States, it was clearly a chain. They had advertisements for their own food, like you know those videos you see on Facebook where it's like an overhead shot and they show you how to make pumpkin pie or whatever it is. They had that, but for their own menu items. And then overdubbed with bizarre, bizarre pop music, music. like Sam, Sam Smith, Smith. Lots mostly. of Sam Smith, lots of Sam Smith, which was a lot of fun. But I thought even even for a chain restaurant, I thought. The garbage cafe was pretty good. Yeah, and I had a different kind of soup there, which I'm going to butcher the name, like Slotskaya. Dave, do you remember how this? Anyway, it's another... Solyanka, Solyanka. Yes, Solyanka. (laughs) Also a really good soup, which Dave had the following night at a different restaurant and almost died. Or vomited one of the two. Yeah, so then our final night, we looked up another place, and it was a traditional Belarusian place the interesting thing about this is they didn't really want us to order food i was so upset yeah so, so we ordered appetizers. help me tell this so we, we ordered right. uh like appetizers like two appetizers it was like pancake potato pancakes potato pancakes we each had soup just two of them and we yeah we got soup and then so like he comes back brings the soup yeah and then we're like hey we're ready to order and then what was he like was he goes, it, oh, no 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 Two two potato pancake. You no, that's you know. Yeah, you might you're, be full. full. You you're might full. be full. You might not want to order. Taking, taking our menu. 
Yeah. yeah, he started taking minions. Away. And, and I'm like, I don't, I don't know about and this. And he just points at Dave and he so goes, Dave meat? Looked, he, he said, meat? I was like, yes, I'll take the bacon-wrapped beef, please. Mm-hmm. Oh, he said, oh, good choice. Good choice. And then everybody, and they took my menu and then left. And everybody else was like, wait a minute, why, like, why did Dave I've get to order? I've never had a waiter be like, no, please don't spend money at our establishment. Yes, you will be too full. Please don't increase my tip. This I'm is too much. For That's not what we, yes, we care about you, Americans. Come you on. You were too fat. Yeah. And I was like, he doesn't understand where we're from. He does not get it. Overindulgence is our game. Yeah. Appetizer is the beginning, yeah. not the end. Come on. This so eventually, guy. Andrew and I both ordered <laughs> more food. Which, again, super good. I had Very pear good. stuffed chicken along with my potato pancakes and my borscht, which was your third I, borscht? That was the third. I would put that at the bottom of the list. Uh, not, that was my one time I tried still the borscht. Still good. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was yeah. not, none of I them were bad at all, but if I had to rank them, that would be the... My, I think my favorite meal was the first meal. I had duck, oh. uh, r- r- like roasted duck uh, with the borscht. With it borscht. wasn't your sausage pizza? Oh, my sausage Cafe. pizza. <laughs> so Dave, <laughs> Dave orders... First of all, at, at Garage Cafe, they have literally everything from sushi to like chimichangas to pizza yeah, to traditional to eggs, Russian dishes. Eggs and yeah, pancakes. Breakfast. So, Dave, we a lot of us order pizza, but we order, what was it, 32 centimeters, which is like a personal, like 12 to 14 inch pizza. Dave orders the 46 centimeter. Yeah, because I'm a grown man. Apparently, he thought so. I know. I didn't realize what 42 and, centimeter. And I didn't do any math. He's upset because they don't have sausage pizza. Yeah. So he does like a build your own. He had, he orders a margarita and he's like, can you add sausage to it? So they no, do. Not a margarita drink, just a margarita pizza margarita with a pizza. bunch of cheese yeah. on it. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, and it comes. And first of all, it's huge. <laughs> it's so big. <laughs> it's like. I was like, it's oh, like, oh, it's like shoot. a large delivery pizza. And the sausage is not what we would think of in America as sausage. It's it was. Sausage. It's sausage for sure, but more, uh, we would call it maybe hot, hot dogs. Yeah. Like sliced hot dogs. Like exactly what you would put in your kids' mac and cheese. <laughs> that was on top of Dave's pizza, but thinner. Oh, man. And I would say, too, the hot dogs after sliced and then put in the oven, sort of the shape was a little awkward. Yeah. They were a bit perky. They were perky. Yeah, it was. Perky hot dog <laughs> sausage <laughs> things. We <laughs> We had a word for him. We called him. And yeah. changing the subject, yeah. So, um, but I ate. I ate a good portion of it just to be for those of you guys out there that like to eat out of pride. I ate uh, seven of the ten slices. So, and they're big slices. <laughs> ten slices. I will be going on whole thirty in a week, yeah. and I'll try it for two days, and I'll be like, "Oh, this stinks," and I'll go back to yeah. normal eating. So, uh, Dave, uh, you want to tell us what we were riding in? Yeah, so when we were in the airplane on the way up, you know, we were doing the vlog and John pointed the vlog camera to Todd and he goes, yeah, Minsk or bust, or bust. That's what he said, Minsk or bust. And we're like, Minsk or bust? That doesn't really flow off the tongue, you know. That's a really awkward thing to say. And it's weird because Todd never does anything awkward. And <laughs> Especially that- when a camera is pointed <laughs> And so he said, Minsker bust, and then we just we just said, what is that? And but then eventually we said, you know what? Maybe, maybe all this transportation we're seeing these are Minsker buses, and we'll just call them Minsk, the Minsker bus. But then we realized, you know what? We rented a big van. I think we're riding in the Minsker bus, so we called it the Minsker bus, even though that's not what Todd meant to say in the plane. Minsker bus, it became that because yeah. Minsker bust is worse than Minsker bus, which we were driving. <laughs> we decided. Can you say that one more time? Minsker Buzz. 
Not Minsker bust. Minsker bust. It was fun though. I got I I did like being the navigator. Sometimes Todd wouldn't listen to me, and I would say, uh, "You're gonna turn left in a little bit," and he would get in the left lane really early, and then we would forcibly turn left, and we would add 12 minutes. And then I got blamed for that. Just well, everything since we're was in meters. Since we're rolling. Everything was in meters, so it was like... Yeah, uh, I would give 300 meter 800 meters. And it's like, what, what is what that? What does that what even that mean? Miles? That's like saying 46 centimeter pizza, right? It's the same thing. Nobody would know. Yeah, sure. Nobody. Oh, also when we were coming back, uh, we had to fill the tank uh, this morning really early. Right, with, with diesel with fuel. With diesel fuel, specifically. All the labels are in Russian. Yeah. Or some kind of code. And it's like five it's like five thirty in the morning or something. We're trying to figure out which of these is diesel. Yeah, so I had to go inside. You have to pay first. You have to say I want so many liters and pay. And so I was writing things, uh, you know, notes and they were trying to draw pictures and finally the attendant just sent somebody out to pump the gas for us. And how do they know we needed diesel? Because I told them. I oh. said, How do I know which is diesel? Yeah. And they're trying to draw little pictures or whatever, and then finally they just sent somebody out to. Because if we couldn't for us. find colored crayons to show, yeah, <laughs> no, because it was the, the green station. one. That's what we found the out. Green, yeah, it's just kind of like of America, but we weren't sure, and we don't want to put unleaded fuel on the diesel. But I would say overall, um, very nice people. Yeah, Minsk. yeah, absolutely. Especially yeah. if you can learn like one or two phrases, and like yeah. when we started learning how to say thank you, which was spasiba. Uh, spasiba. And as soon as you start, as soon as you say "spasiba" to somebody, they like light up. Yeah, get a big And like smile. suddenly they love you. It's uh, it was like that when I went to Africa or DR. It's the same thing. You learn one phrase or two phrases, and suddenly they love you because yeah. they're like, "What's this American think he's doing speaking our language?" Yeah, but uh, unlike some other places in Europe that I've been, there's not a guarantee that there's gonna be someone who speaks English everywhere you go in. You know, unless you're going into like at the hotel, obviously, because it's hospitality. But in some restaurants, we would go and they would like pick the poor girl who they knew knew the most English, and they're like, "It's you, it's you, you take the American." You must serve us. And she was she was clearly not excited to practice her English. <laughs> I mean, at the cozy place, the Gaston's Pub, whatever that place was called, none of those guys did. English. Yeah, but we yeah. still managed to eat. Yeah, we did, and well. Also, they don't, they don't, when they serve you water at, at lunches and dinners, it's, they don't have like tap water. You buy a bottled, it, but you have to tell them if you want still water or gas water, which means like regular drinking water or like soda water. So they would say gas or no gas when you wanted a water, or they would say still or gas. So just maybe to wrap up, since it's obvious we've run out of things to talk about, um, anything else we want to talk about? <laughs> Before we shut it down. Oh, so we went to the world's ugliest building, which is debatable whether it is, in fact, the ugliest building. Yeah, it's their library, right? Their national right, library. National library. Here. So they have a uh, observation deck on top. So we went up there and beautiful views of Minsk. Well, there's views of Minsk. Yes. Well, they, they're the most beautiful views of Minsk. Uh, that you can get. Yeah, the, they yeah. don't get any better than that. Right. And the sun was out though, so that was it was actually a nice, nice view. It was nice. That was our big excursion for the day. Right. Yeah. We also, you know, the first day we got in, we went in to go see Ola and Todd texted Ola that we were here and they said, Meet me by the broadcast buses, I'll be right out. And so we were outside in the really cold it was waiting. Really cold. For I guess it was twenty minutes we were standing there waiting. Wouldn't you say, Andrew? At least twenty. <laughs> 
film were like seven hours. And so we were like freezing our butts off. So we're like, hey, Todd, can you like follow up again? But Todd didn't want to like follow up because he didn't want to push him, you know, because he's busy, quote unquote, you know. And so we're like, you know what? Maybe we should pull the car up. Like, let's get in the car and warm up. So we get in the car and about like a minute later. Less. Yeah, yeah, less than a minute seconds, later, yeah. Ola walks up to the car and he's like, what are you guys doing, you lazy Americans sitting in the car? <laughs> and we're like, Ola, we've been out freezing our butts off. And now we, we just got in the car. So that was really funny. The other thing about uh, the venue was getting past security. So they definitely did not speak English. And so no. the, there was a lot of uh, language barrier. Each of the three times there. we came in, it was a different security person and a different protocol. So the first time we came in, it was like no security. Like Ola just brought just it. We walked just walked right in, in with Ola. Day two, they were like, whoa, 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 you're not, are you on the list? You're not on the list? And then a volunteer came out and says to us, what seems to be the problem? And we're like, what? Well, there's no problem. We were here yesterday for hours. And then oh, they finally got us cleared and they got our names on a list, handwritten on a list. And then day three, we came back. And we told them, we're on the list. And they're like, we don't see it. So we like looked at the back of all the lists to find where our names were written. Yeah, and we're like, there written. they are. There they are. And then they said, okay. And then the security guy's like, empty empty out your backpacks. We're like, what? <laughs> We've never had to do this the first two times we were here. So we had to like show them our backpacks. And then we were able to go in. So it was very unusual and unexpected. You never knew what you were walking into. Yeah, the nice part about the parking lot, there was an attendant that you had to get past. And so the first time I'm sort of, trying to figure out what do I say to this person and then I use the phrase Eurovision and then he just waved me through and so with each each successive time just a little more confidence Eurovision just wave us through there you go John any comments on that Minsk <laughs> Minsk or bust yeah so I guess I would say uh, maybe to wrap up just going this is our third one of these and thinking about the first one, it was just me and Dave and some hired gun camera person. And last year you were there, you know, just a little bigger and coming here a little more involved. Um, I know. Next year, feature film. Feature film. In space. <laughs> um, yeah, I just really appreciate you guys like figuring out how to make it happen while. Uh, it just was super great to be able to just be with Ola and engage with him and, yeah, warm up to that and not have to worry about clear scan because uh, I don't really know what that is. I mean, I do, but I would never figure that out uh, myself. So, yeah, thanks for coming and making it look awesome. Maybe to get a little serious here, I think we all got to do what we love to do this time around, and I think that's why it turned out so well because we got to serve in the way we were gifted. So. Yeah, I had a lot of fun. Yeah, it's always an honor, a pleasure to do these. They're like they're like my some of my favorite jobs to do. So thanks for bringing us. Thanks for trusting us. Yeah, yeah. I had a thoroughly terrible time. That's all I have to say. Oh my gosh, Minsker bust. Bye bye. See ya. Man, it was really fun reliving this trip. I love working with Dave, John, Andrew, and Hartmut. Man, so glad these guys are huge fans of Philo and brought their A-game to making the session that we recorded for the Philo conference amazing. We're posting some photos of our trip in the show notes of this episode on the podcast page of our website, so you can head over there at philo.org. 
slash podcast to check them out. Also, if you didn't get quite enough Philo Goes to Minsk, uh, we're releasing a vlog of our time together, so you can check that out also at philo.org slash philo2019. And while you're at our website and at the Philo 2019 part of the page, you can check out all the new stuff we've added about the Philo Conference. All right, check us out on social media, at Philo Community on Facebook and Instagram, and at Philo Conference on Twitter. We'd love your ideas and your feedback about our podcast, so shoot us an email, philopodcast at fusion.productions. All right, until the next time. Thank you.